welcome to You Heard It Here First, helping you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm Imriel Morgan, and I'm back with some brilliant recommendations of great audiobooks, podcasts, plays, and more. But that's not all. I want to hear what you've been loving too. We'll be featuring some of your reviews and asking to hear what you've been enjoying in our genre corner. We're kicking things off with a review from you. Every week, I have a look on Audible's website to see if I can find what you've been raving about. This week, our featured customer review is for Why Mummy Swears by Jill Sims. It comes from a reviewer whose username is Audible is the best. Ah, thanks. Here's what they had to say. Fair warning, as it's a book about swearing, there's a swear word coming up. Hilarious. Wow. Brilliant narrator. So a really, really, really huge well done to this lady for making this book hilarious. I actually don't know if this book would be as funny if it wasn't this narrator that read it. She's brilliant. The author is also amazing. What a great sense of humour. And it's so, so true to life. That's what makes it as funny as it is, that everyone can relate to what she says. You just can't not laugh at this. So definitely get it and her other book too. I've not read the shit one yet, but I will for sure. Two down, one to go. Wow, what a review. I have to give this a try. You can find Why Mummy Swears by Jill Sims on Audible. Next up, it's time to hear about this week's featured new release. This is the new bit of audio that I've really enjoyed listening to and simply had to share with you. This show wouldn't help you if I didn't recommend lots of different kinds of books, which is why you can expect our new releases to switch up the genres from week to week. So what have I chosen? I've gone for a sport recommendation called My Brother, Muhammad Ali, the definitive biography of the greatest of all time. Now, it's more than likely you've heard of Muhammad Ali, but this biography hopes to give you a bigger and better insight into the life of the boxer than ever before. Written by Muhammad Ali's brother, Rahman, this memoir tells the story of his life through the lens of their relationship, as brothers and as best friends. Muhammad and Rahman Ali were born as Cassius and Rudolph Clay in Louisville, Kentucky. Rahman is Muhammad's only sibling and spent his life with his brother. The audiobook is filled with great anecdotes and intimate stories about Muhammad and his infamous career. I think you'll really enjoy it if you're a Muhammad Ali fan or even a boxing fan. I've always been a fan of Muhammad Ali, so I was curious to hear more about his life and more importantly, his mindset. Being a great athlete requires some serious mental strength and I was interested to find out more about his personality that defined his greatness. I have to say, though, if that's what you're looking for too, you might find yourself being a little disappointed. Muhammad comes across as I expected from other stories or press clippings that I've seen. Don't get me wrong, the book is still good, but it left me wanting more. You get the sense that he is fair, kind and a bit of a people pleaser in the best possible way. There's an underlying theme of jealousy, which also could be viewed as him being protective. Rahman is also a heavyweight boxer, but Muhammad refused to fight him. And not only that, he even tried to get Rahman out of the boxing ring, telling him he doesn't need to box again as Muhammad's making enough money. Here's a clip to show you what I mean by their relationship. Even most of the clothes that Muhammad and I wore when we were younger came from Goodwill. We wore secondhand shirts and shoes that cost a dollar or less. So, no, I wouldn't classify Muhammad's upbringing as middle class at all. Though our father was a painter of some renown and our mother had a job cleaning for some white families, 
in many ways we were always trying our best to make ends meet. But still, our parents would always put food on the table. And while my brother and I may not have had much money, have been showered with gifts, or got everything we wanted, the fact that we had each other was typically enough to make us happy. Muhammad and I, for instance, shared a bedroom which was around 20 feet by 16 feet, with his bed right next to mine. For some kids, that might have been a chore, but for us, it just made us closer as brothers. I should point out that this book promises to reframe your views of Muhammad Ali, as well as share never-before-heard stories. If you're not a super fan, which I'm not, you'll probably be none the wiser about what stories are new or exclusive. It doesn't make them less enjoyable, nor did I hear anything that massively changed my opinion of Ali. Having said that, I've always had a favourable view of him. If you felt conflicted about the man, then this book might settle this for you. There's something about the way the book is written that makes it fairly easy to drift in and out. It's told as a series of stories that don't exactly flow together to form a huge narrative. There's no satisfying, shocking revelation, but I think this actually makes it the perfect background listen. So that's My Brother Muhammad Ali, the definitive biography of the greatest of all time by Rahman Ali. You can find it on Audible. Welcome to our Hidden Gem section of the show. For every episode, I take a deep dive through the Audible site to find something great that you may have previously missed. And the oldie but goodie I've decided to share with you this week is Corrupt Bodies, Death and Dirty Dealing in a London Morgue by Peter Everett. Corrupt Bodies is a graphic retelling of deaths, murders and suicides, business as usual as the head of a morgue. Now, I think it's only fair to warn you, this book is not for the faint-hearted or squeamish. Peter absolutely delights in sharing the intimate details of opening up bodies on his table in the hopes of uncovering their cause of death. Get a load of this. Fair warning, it's pretty graphic. Professor Mant arrived moments later and we quickly got to work. We took hair and urine samples, double-checked under Matthew's fingernails for debris, taking and bagging some scrapings using matchsticks. His body was then carefully examined for external injuries, and under Professor Mant's direction, I recorded the location of bruises, cuts and abrasions on a body map. The body, just over four feet tall, was well-nourished, but was extremely pale thanks to the loss of blood. His injuries were extensive. It looked as though he might have been assaulted before being stabbed and before having the concrete block dropped on his head. There are signs of compression to the neck, Professor Mant said. Petechial hemorrhages in the upper and lower eyelids. This was a sign of blood vessels bursting due to strangulation. And there are several abrasions to the neck itself and bruising, as well as two semi-lunar abrasions on the right side. The lunar abrasions suggested a stranglehold. If you love CSI, Law and Order or Silent Witness, then you'll feel at ease with the subject matter and the gory details. Mark Elstrom narrates the book and portrays Peter as a quirky, witty and slightly excitable man. It makes the book funny and endearing. It's very easy to find him likeable and eccentric in his pursuit of a career in a morgue. He's also quite posh and there's a little mischief in his tone as he describes the more grotesque elements of his job. So how do you even get into the business of running a morgue? Well, in the 1980s, Peter was a mortuary manager at St. Mary's for six years. While he was there, he encountered a friend on his table and realised he wants to do more with his career. He decided he wanted to run a morgue for criminal cases. 
Sure. Shortly after this epiphany, he sees an opening for Southwark and applies. It's not long until Peter discovers that corruption and theft are rife at the Southwark morgue. His colleague George regularly steals from the dead with the higher-ups turning a blind eye. It even goes as far as funeral directors providing kickbacks in exchange for referrals and pathologists deciding murder or manslaughter based on a suspect's race. Peter becomes hell-bent on putting an end to the corruption while dealing with an endless stream of bodies. There's one story that stood out about a Jamaican woman who turns out to have died from a drug overdose. It becomes an informative story about the proliferation of Jamaican drug mules. The story ends with Peter worrying that he can't leave the body alone, the fear that George will come along and make off with the thousands of pounds of drugs inside the woman and pocket the cash. Honestly, it's wild. The pace is brilliant. The narration's superb and the story builds up beautifully. You'll find yourself sucked into everybody's backstories as you learn how they all ended up in the morgue. It's not quite the crescendo you'd expect, but you definitely get a great amount of action. You won't regret listening to this. You can find Corrupt Bodies by Peter Everett by searching for it on the Audible website, where you can also find lots of other brilliant audio to try out too. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one who will be recommending you some audio goodness. Joining me every week in the studio will be two editors from Audible to tell me about the books that they've been loving. First up is Alex Curran, who's chosen Imaginary Friend by Stephen Shabosky. Hi, Alex. Hey. Thanks for coming back. Can you tell us a bit about the book you've chosen? So Imaginary Friend is Stephen Shabosky's second book. His original book was Perks of Being a Wallflower, which was released, I think, over 20 years ago. Um, So it's taken him a long time to write this novel. I think it took him seven years in total. It's a really long time. Yeah, and it's a very, very different book to Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah, it's a lot more creepy and weird. Yeah, it's very um, Stephen King vibes, very creepy, very strange. The plot revolves around a boy called Christopher who moves to a new town with his mother. After a few weeks, he goes missing in the local woods and is found after six days with no memory of what had happened to him. From that point onwards, he starts to hear voices and speak to imaginary people. And um, the story is about the process of him discovering this imaginary world. At the same time, within the town, there's a big flu epidemic going on. People are acting weirdly. There's a lot of strange happenings going on. And you don't know what's real, what's not, if the imaginary world is taking over the real world or if it's all in his head. This book is quite different from what you've recommended in the past. What is it that you liked about it? The reason I chose it is because I really love Perks of Being a Wallflower. Obviously, reading the description, I knew this would be a very different book, but I was very interested in his writing. This has a very similar underlying theme looking at um, the reasons why people behave the way they do. So the book is also split into different people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. So you might start off reading the book thinking someone is evil and horrible and why are they doing these things, but later on you get their perspective and work out why. Were there any really, really creepy bits that kind of sent a shiver down your spine? Yeah, there is one woman who's just trying to be beautiful and she ends up covering her face and her body in as much makeup as she can. And when that doesn't work, she decides to pour paint over herself to cover it. Oh and then she decides to ingest the paint to make her insides beautiful. It's creepy. There's creepiness constantly throughout it yeah. in every single way possible. And I think 
having children in something always makes something creepier. Yeah. <laughs> something about having like children and them turning evil and stuff like that is very creepy. Yeah. That sounds gross. Any characters besides Christopher that really stood out for you? So his mother as well is very like strong woman. You find out a lot about her background. She's very like caring and motivated. She's just like a really good example of someone who's like working really, really hard to protect her family. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times in the book where they talk about parents not believing their children when they're saying something is wrong. And she believes Christopher in a lot of it, which I think is really sweet. Yeah, I remember listening to a bit where I think the boys go into the woods, discover something. Mm-hmm. Everyone's lied to their parents. And they kind of like run up to their parents and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It was so Mm. scary. And Christopher's kind of withdrawn from his mum and can see that she's just disappointed more so with herself than she is with him. Yeah. And I thought like that was quite telling of their relationship in that Mm. like she's very kind of guarded in many ways. Did you experience that throughout or does it kind of get better? Does it get warmer? Yeah, it's definitely throughout. They're like a little team between them. Um, So the reason that they move there is to escape uh, abusive relationship which is revealed really early on. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes them like really strong and they're sort of like on this journey together. And he's very like sympathetic to everything she's been through and really understanding towards it. And it's really nice. Great. Who is the imaginary friend if everyone, if there's a whole world unfolding of loads of different possibly imagined people? Mm -hmm. Who's the imaginary friend? So he really early on is a man that Christopher refers to as a nice man so you don't think he's ever given a name he's also referred to as the soldier and a lot of the imaginary characters don't have names okay so they have like the letterbox people or it's all kind of like childish views of yeah of the names and how do we know that it's imagined is it that he's seeing it references it to a real person they're like mm. what are you talking about it kind of begins like that it begins all in Christopher's head and it expands out and there are a lot of like people suffering with mental health issues there's this big flu going around and you don't know whether it's all being imagined um like delirium yeah exactly going around so it just like it's really wavy like the line of what's imaginary what's not and it's very clear at the start it could be easy described away as stuff but then yeah there's a lot of things that affect the real world that Mm -hmm. start coming through it's a pretty hefty book it's Mm -hmm. a long listen Do you think there was anything that just didn't need to be there? I think the first half is mainly done in Christopher's perspective Mm -hmm. and then it kind of alternates between everyone. I think the beginning half could have been a lot shorter. Yeah. But also you do get very attached to all the characters because you meet them first through his perspective and then get to know them through their own. Mm -hmm. So I think having a long book gets you to know characters really, really well. And I kind of like that. Okay. So if you're up for a creepy listen, The Imaginary Friend by Stephen Shabosky is Alex's pick of the week. You can find it on the Audible website. And hoping to equally impress us with their pick is Gabe. Hello, Gabe. Hi, Imriel. How are you? I'm pretty well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Can we expect something more historical or political from you this week? No, this is something personal, something life-changing. Tell me more. It's called Why We Sleep Mm -hmm. by Matthew Walker, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. It tells you why people sleep, why we need sleep, and how it makes us healthier, fitter, happier, more emotionally stable, and just all-round better people. Great. Why is it personal for you? I'm a really bad sleeper. I always have been. I just tend to wake up a lot. I tend to lie in bed with the kind of racing thoughts about 
complete nonsense but enough to keep me up mm. i've always known that sleep was important obviously it's a huge thing you can't really read like a sunday newspaper without coming across something about sleep the accepted wisdom seems to be now that if we basically if, you, if you're getting less than six hours of sleep you're slowly killing yourself oh um, that's nice yeah which is quite stressful and is yeah. the sort of thing i would lie in bed awake thinking about and not going to sleep so this book I listen to it all the way through as I do any audiobook, as like properly and on my commute. And then, mm-hmm. and I now listen to it again when I'm going to sleep. Oh, brilliant. Um, he says, I think it's the one book where he won't be offended. In fact, he'd be complimented by people falling asleep to it. <laughs> it happens to be narrated by someone with a very gentle, lulling kind of voice. Not in a negative way. It's interesting, but it's also a really nice kind of baritone voice to go to sleep to. So it works on lots of levels like that. It tells you how important sleep is, and it can actually help send you off to sleep. So Um, it has dramatically changed your sleeping habits, you think? I wouldn't say I've adopted like a wholesale... I kind of aim to, but like a wholesale like bedtime routine with... I struggle with the no screens thing, like no yeah. screens at all for Ooh. an hour before bed. I'm like, well, what, what, what do you do for an hour before bed? Read. Without... read. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> Get a Kindle. <laughs> yeah, I, but that's also kind a of a screen. screen but yeah. It's like a better screen because it's like a book screen. Yeah. <laughs> I have no screens in the bedroom rule, so also 9.30 bedtimes, no screens in the bedroom. Yeah. Very good. It just makes sense. It's stuff that you know. And if you know it, it applies more to you. And you wake up and you think, I feel great. Yeah. Or you wake up and you think, I don't feel great. I'm going to get a really good night's sleep tonight and make sure tomorrow I feel great. Yeah. I'm definitely a better dad when I've had more sleep. Good. That's probably the area of my life where it's more, where it's the most obvious. Um, I'm way more patient with my kids, way more loving, way less snappy at them. And I just think once you know that, it's it's hard to go back because you think you, you, the kids deserve the... <laughs> At yeah. least a decent version of you. You can't be the best you all the time. <laughs> At least not that ratty, irritable, like three hours sleep and hungover version of you. It's like, that's, that's not their problem. You know, so it just helps me kind of solidify things. In, in, yeah. But I, I know the right thing to do. And I yeah. now have this um, really, you know, really amazing, just well-told book, which is not always easy in it potentially quite a dry subject. Is there anything in the book that just made you stop what you're doing and just listen in? Yes. Um, there was a particularly cool anecdote about thomas edison there's people in history who you know famously survived on three or four hours sleep and he basically just deconstructs that argument and he says that he's not convinced there's certainly no sleep you know record of how much margaret thatcher and thomas edison actually slept but they're held up you know thomas edison invented electricity without very much sleep so come on you this can't be as black and white as you say it is and he says well He looked into Thomas Edison in great detail and he discovered that he was a big napper, apparently. Ah. He had his best ideas straight after a nap in the daytime, probably because he wasn't sleeping that much at night. And he had it down to this incredible fine art where he would go to sleep. This was before, obviously, electricity because he hadn't invented it yet. So he would have a nap in his chair. He would sit in his chair and he would put a steel plate on the floor. Right. Beneath him, and he would hold steel ball bearings in his hand. Sure. Because he had worked out that he the amount of sleep he needed was the exact amount just as your muscles relax. There's a certain stage of sleep, I guess, where your muscles relax. Yeah. And that's when he wanted to wake up. So he would go to sleep with the steel balls in his hand, fall asleep, the balls would drop on the floor, clang on the on the metal sheet yeah. and wake him up. And he would wake up and invent electricity and things like that. What? And have all his like <laughs> all, all his like greatest ideas came in those moments. And it happened so often that he worked out this system so he could have those moments every day and went on to, you know, do all the like world changing things he did. Basically on the on, on the back of having naps 
And I was just like, wow, I need to, <laughs> I need to try that. Brilliant. <laughs> That's a wonderful anecdote. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Gabe. So my producers have kindly reminded me that another great thing you can do that doesn't involve screens is listening to things like audiobooks and podcasts. You can find both books recommended by our editors on Audible. Like what you're listening to? Take a second to leave us a rating or review on your favourite podcast app. Next up, it's time to hear from some of your favourite authors thanks to Audible Sessions. This week, I've chosen a clip from Jeffrey Boachie's session. Jeffrey is a writer and teacher from Brixton in South London. He joined Holly in the studio to talk about Blacklisted. In the book, he takes a global look at black history and the way in which black communities have been represented, celebrated and othered. Here's a section from the session that I really enjoyed. If you look at the national curriculum, you know, if you want to get political about it, um, the movement started by Michael Gove, you know, when he was heading up education, the national curriculum isn't really moving on in that direction. It's, it's still more or less kind of t- teaching what has been taught. So I do feel like there's an opportunity for individuals in schools to open the debate. And there's such a richness of voice coming out of um, popular nonfiction. There are, there are books being published. There are TV media being produced that is actively trying to change the narrative, which is, I think is a really important thing. And the good news is that it's something which people are ready for. So when Black Panther came out, it was just crazy. Like, just kids were just so excited about a black superhero. Like, kids were, like, genuinely excited about this idea. And then they got interested in the concept of an African state being an amazing place with technological advances and the exact opposite of how Africa's often portrayed in the media. So... I think that that says a lot, that one of the highest grossing films of last year was about an African superhero, you know. People want a different perspective on the same story. People want another narrative, they want something truer, and and they're seeing it as well, because representation is hopefully starting to start to change. I love that Jeffrey touched on the absence of Britain's more treacherous history in the curriculum. I found myself nodding along as a lot of the history that I know today personally has come from self-study or my parents teaching me it. So I think it's really important that the wider audience gets a real understanding of what's really missing and what we lack as a group of people when we don't get to learn our own stories and narratives in our school system. If you're curious to hear more, you can find Jeffrey Boachie's full session with Holly Newson on the Audible website or on the app, where you can also find Blacklisted for your listening pleasure. And now it's time to take a trip to our genre corner. You've heard lots of recommendations from us, but now we want to hear what you love. From American history to techno thrillers, we want to know what it is you can't get enough of. This week, we've chosen a review of a book all about British politics, recommended by Ewan. Here's what he had to say. Hi, I'm Ewan. I'd like to recommend a book called Fallout by Tim Shipman, who's the Sunday Times political correspondent. And uh, this was his second book that sort of follows the Brexit saga. This takes over from the moment that David Cameron runs away and Theresa May spins plates until she too falls over. It's an extraordinary book because it's really good to read these things with a little bit of hindsight. Sometimes you can get so overwhelmed with the news that actually to look at this almost like a historical event, I think it's really cathartic about a period that was just so confusing and so infuriating in our lifetime. Uh, It helps if you know some of the characters involved. Uh, Those include sort of Phil Hammond, Boris, David Davis. And really, once you know who's who, it's just a series of awful anecdotes about 
incompetency in a lot of ways. I found it really funny. I think it's better to laugh. Otherwise, you're just going to end up crying. Uh, I can't wait. There's going to be more from this. I suggest Tim Shipman's going to be writing this till the day he dies. I know there's another book imminently, which I can't wait to listen to as well. But just a really good way to digest what's been happening in the last few years and to understand it with a, a better perspective. Ooh, definitely adding this to my must-listen list. Thanks, Ewan. If you'd like to deep dive into British politics, check out Ewan's recommendation of Fallout, A Year of Political Mayhem by Tim Shipman on Audible. Remember, this is your opportunity to share your favourite Audible listen here on You Heard It Here First. Record a voice note on your phone telling us about an audiobook you love and send it to us at yhihf at audible.co.uk. That's the first letters of You Heard It Here First. But remember, keep your review spoiler free. We hope you've enjoyed hearing about lots of great audio from Audible. In case you missed any of the book titles, here's what we recommended today. Why Mummy Swears by Jill Sims. My Brother, Muhammad Ali, the definitive biography of the greatest of all time by Rahman Ali. Corrupt Bodies, Death and Dirty Dealing in a London Morgue by Peter Everett. Alex Curran recommended Imaginary Friend by Stephen Shabosky. Gabe Fleming recommended Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. We heard from Jeffrey Boachi about Blacklisted. And our genre corner recommendation was Fallout, A Year of Political Mayhem by Tim Shipman. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content Is Queen. Presented by me, Imriel Morgan, and featuring Alex Curran and Gabe Fleming. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.